What is up, everyone? And welcome to K Golasso, which is presented to you by Sonos Beam, the premium smart soundbar for TV, movies, music, gaming, and more. So stay tuned for additional details about the Sonos Beam later in today's show. Now, we know every World Cup qualifier is important, everyone, but U.S. versus Mexico just hits a little different. The Stars and Stripes lifted hardware the last two times these two teams met in the Nations League final and the Gold Cup final. But in the words of Tyler Adams, who I think will be the captain in this one, those games mean absolutely nothing as the two Giants of CONCACAF prepare for battle in Cincinnati on Friday. I'm Jimmy Conrad. I've got Heath Pierce and Luiso Vasquez alongside me to preview this game. So let's do this. K Golasso Pod begins right now. All right, before I get into the nice, warm, and fuzzy introductions of Wiso and Heath, let's talk about Tyler Adams' interview and that quote, because I teased it a little bit in the intro, but let's get right into it right away, because I want to get the thoughts of these two fine gentlemen that are with me today. Here's his full quote. He says, the Gold Cup and Nations League mean absolutely nothing. We respect Mexico very highly. They're a quality team with a lot of quality players. It's going to be a battle, bottom line. It's a rivalry match. I think we know what those games mean now, and it was important to learn that over the summer. But winning those games means nothing. And we did an interview with him on Kego Lasso. Check it out on the podcast and our YouTube channel. Make sure you hit like and subscribe when you do that. Uh, Heath, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think about these comments from what I think will be our captain, not only in this upcoming game, but moving forward, Tyler Adams? It's funny. And, and first off, I, I, I listened to Wiso's podcast uh, the other day, and he was talking about how it was early from 11 a.m. So this has got to be real, <laughs> real early for him to be here uh, this, this, this early uh, on this one. But listen, for me, it was interesting. And when I was listening to Wiso, when I was listening to your podcast, I was thinking about this going, this is a very different type of setup. These comments that mm-hmm. he made mean, mean nothing because the game is different between U.S. and Mexico because mm-hmm. – most of the games, we look at the U.S. and we say U.S. needs to have a convincing performance, right? Win the possession game, dictate the style of play. But very rarely is that ever the case against Mexico. And it's weird to hear Mexican fans and, and El Tree fans thinking about how they can beat the U.S. because the game is different for them. They know that they're going to probably win possession game. They're going to dictate the flow of play, but still struggle to win. So when I look at the summer and I'm the U.S., I disagree with Tyler. I think those games mean more because they found ways to beat Mexico. Yeah. If you looked at the last minutes against Mexico in the, in the Nations League final, they were bombing at the U.S. Both wings coming in inside, and they were just surviving. It wasn't our traditional recipe for success, which is you know disciplined, sit in your blocks, be very good, to, be very hard to beat, but also have a little bit of style in the way that we try to beat teams and how we play. When we play against Mexico, it's a little more defensive minded. It's a little bit more. Let's not make mistakes. Yes, let them have the ball. Don't get caught up in the emotion side of the game. The whole game is just different. And so while I don't think the results of those matter, the way in which the U.S. got experience from those, the way in which the U.S. approached those and bounced back against adversity, especially in the Nations League final, I think those are really important factors in how you prepare for this one when you look at what's it going to take to get success. But that's not to do with the results themselves. (laughs) I don't think you can rely on those and say, hey, We've done two. We're just going to go out there and do three. I think you have to remove that. But I do think those were very, very important for this team. It's kind of like, you know, and thanks again for having me. I'm excited for this game. Always. It's it's the the answer is there, right? Can we rely on those games to make sure we're going to win again? No. Any player is going to say that, that, you know, 
but it does give you the recipe that we can do this, even though we're getting outplayed Mexico psychological and it starts thinking about the pressure and, you know, mistakes happening. And then, you know, the U S can win uh, for a Mexico fan. We're looking at that, those two games. They mean, they meant a lot for Mexican players knowing that Mexico lost. And now that the U S with this great generation at this stage already beat Mexico twice. When was the last time that me- that U S won in three, three games in a row? I think it was like back in the late uh, early 2000s by Nike Cup and some other cups that were there. But uh, these those two games meant a lot. And this is why this game is even more important than a normal World Cup qualifying to fans, to players. And uh, let's face it, even if the as far as points in the World Cup qualifiers, if both teams loses, they're going to go to the World Cup. Hopefully, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it means more on the pride level. It means more that if the U.S. beats Mexico at home, uh, now what's going to happen in the Azteca coming up in March, and that's three games that Mexico has lost. So hopefully, it doesn't happen. <laughs> Jimmy, I, Jimmy, I want your, I want yeah. your take on this too, just because for me, again, <laughs> it's such a weird approach in this game because it feels, at least for me as a fan and having played in those. I always felt like the underdog in those games because the way in which the game plays, that Mexico is this big CONCACAF giant. They dictate the style of play. You know you're defending for long Mm -hmm, periods. mm -hmm. You know you have to be literally tuned in at all times, but not tuned in in the way that you would play at home against Jamaica where your fullbacks are high and wide. Even World Cup qualifiers? You thought they were an underdog in the World Cup qualifiers in the U.S., Heath? Yeah, I did. Even in Columbus at the beginning of the game. It's just... It, you not underdogs, but you 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 feel like and you respect them at a level because of the possession game, right? Mm-hmm. Anytime you're Got playing it. against somebody that never lets you touch the ball and make you work hard to win it back, and they when they're pressing well, you feel like this team is different than us because the way that we all want to play the game is the way in which Mexico plays with possession, with intent, with is just wearing down the opponent, and when you're defending for long periods. That's highly stressful. So that's how I remember that, Jimmy. Maybe yeah. you feel differently, but you know, what's your take on that? No, what I would jump in and say very quickly is that anytime I lined up against Mexico, you could feel that they expected to beat us. And you yeah. couldn't say that about other CONCACAF nations. Now, the trick for us as a team was, how do we get them over the course of the 90 minutes to make them feel insecure and be like, oh my God, we're really going to lose to the U.S. here. And then we're yeah. going to have to answer all these questions back at home. The press is going to be all over us. And you want to get them there as fast as you possibly can. Now, if we look at those Nations League final and the Gold Cup final games, pretty close. I mean, Mexico, the the, the margins are super fine in, in terms of who is going to get the result in both of those games. And, and I think set pieces ultimately proved to be the difference for the U.S. in particular. But but And maybe that'll happen again. But there's something about the mentality of that. Yeah. And, and in some ways, I think we thrive being the underdog. So it plays into... Maybe that's changing now with this new generation of players. But when I was playing, we were so much more at ease when we were the underdog and all the pressure was on Mexico, which actually leads me to another question here. Which manager is actually under more pressure? Because what's crazy is that Mexico's on top and Tata Martino's probably feels like he's on the hot seat. He's like, dude, I've got us on 14 points. We're clear by three points at the top of the table and people still aren't happy with them. U.S. is in second. Canada's in third. I feel like Canada's the only country that's like, nah, we're cool, man. Two yeah. wins. John oh, Herdsman, they're like, give, give John Herdsman a new contract. Yeah. Yeah. The other two coaches above him are under the are I, under the microscope of crazy. losing their jobs. Yeah. It's crazy. So so I'm gonna go to Wiso first on this. Do you think Greg Burhalter's under more pressure? Especially with with it's give us the context of it being in the US. And then and then what about Tata Martino? Because him losing three consecutive times in meaningful games to the US is really yeah. unacceptable if you're a Mexican fan. 
Uh, there's the fans, and then there's a federation, right? So we'll go with the fans. I think, obviously, <laughs> that'd for be, this that'd game, be a good, that'd be a good Twitter handle. The fans <laughs> yeah, of federation. Fans, fans of uh, I, I would say, I would say, for the fans, there's all so much talk that that, that keeps bringing players that uh, fans are not necessarily too comfortable with. You know, Chicharito's vetted, Arteaga is not in the squad for all these other reasons, and you know, we don't want to talk about Vela, right? So there's fans that are like, we don't even have the best there, and. That is not calling, you know, a young team. We have young players that went to the Olympics that are not here. So uh, if Mexico loses to the U.S. in big games, Tata, you're not, you know, the, these points aren't coming through. Here's, you know, you want to make sure that we're qualifying, sure. But at the same time, we can't lose to the U.S., right? That pressure will be there from the Federation. Mexico loses this game, still in the top. No, you know, you're not going to find a, a, a manager. I mean, it took, what what did it take for for the 2013 run for Mexico to finally change managers when they were, the Titanic was about to, you know, to hit that iceberg <laughs> and, and, and go down. So I don't necessarily think he's in trouble on the other side on Greg, seeing it as a fan, man, it feels like lots of fans are not convinced the way he got in and looking for every little excuse for, to, you know, if, if this happens, if you lose at home to Mexico in a world cup qualifier with this talent pool being second, uh, I think, I think Greg was going to get fired if he lost in Honduras. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what, what happens after this game. Yeah, I, I think the Honduras moment was probably the closest we've seen to, again, fan and federation probably being close to mm-hmm. being on the same page. Uh, being down 1-0 is a huge, a huge uh, eye-opener, a red flag for everybody, right? And then obviously the U.S. bounced back in the way that they did. And now I think the conversation has shifted back to the Greg Berhalter argument of why is he bringing in Ariola? Why is Zardes coming in? Sebastian yeah. Legette sucks. You know, why are there all these veteran players that don't contribute, especially mostly MLS uh, contributors? Why did John Anthony Brooks not get uh, brought in? These types of things, I think, are what people are focusing on. And again, I, I agree with some of those sentiments. But I also think that, again, we, we live in this constant state of, uh, of PTSD of what we went through, right? And mm-hmm. fans don't want to go through that again. That's why I think Honduras was the closest because people are like, oh, no, it's happening again. We knew we, we saw this uh, slow motion train wreck in 2018, and now it's happening again. This is in Honduras. The U.S. This is the worst we've ever seen them. The U.S. hasn't played well yet. But then I think now it's now back to nitpicking, which I think is, is something. Now, you lose to Mexico. Jimmy, you've said it lots of times before. I don't think the U.S. or Mexico don't qualify because of this game. This is this game is a bit of a wash, and it's more personal. On the other hand, it's funny because the flip argument is is Tata Martino, right? Lost twice this summer and can now have these redemption with with three points. But I don't think I still don't think he loses his job. I think again that's on the fan level losing those games, but replacing him is something completely different. So when I look at both these teams at the top of the top of the table, the U.S. has a lot more risk in falling back into that. Uh, category of trying to fight for that second and third spot so I think the pressure is more on Greg but I don't really see a ton of pressure on him because he got the results in the summer so while I think those don't matter now in qualifying I think from a federation standpoint you look at it and you go okay progress we're getting better we're we're (laughs) decent in the table right now there's still this long plan and I think you know we so to your point about about Tata Martino bringing in older players our failures forced us to bring in older players. And I think, Jimmy, again, I don't know your take on this. Do you think we would have gone young had we not qualified for the World Cup? Or do you think it would have been this rinse and repeat cycle where we've got this golden generation, but perhaps you'd still be seeing some of the 30-plusers or late 20s guys that were part of the last cycle uh, still woven into this this uh, the fabric of this team? I, that's a great question. I would say that 
I think the young players would be pushing the older guys out. We, we see it already with Honduras and Costa Rica in particular, Panama to a certain effect, but they're still relying on older guys to get the job done. You're like, yeah. dude, Brian Ruiz is 75 years old. It's time to move <laughs> him along. So, so, you know, and at some point you have to take that risk. We're actually seeing it with the U.S. women's national team where they've got this golden generation that have won so many trophies. But you got this hungry, thriving, ambitious, younger class of players, younger generation that like, hey, we can do the same things you guys are doing. And we could argue maybe a little bit better. By the way, the the argument to that, Jimmy, by the way, is that the Olympics being delayed one year made all of those old players even older uh, for the women's side. And it was there was a chance for a transition there that they missed. But obviously, contracts and all the things come different. Sorry. That's a conversation for another day. Of course. Of course. And I'm happy to dive into that because I think it's a lot of fun to explore that theme with the women's national team. Now, with regard to under who's more under who's under more pressure. Tata, if he loses three straight, is going to be feeling it for sure. Always with the fans that are very reactionary to results, very results oriented. They never have an answer as to who's going to bring, who they're going no. to bring in. And, and so that's great. Cool. You fire the guy that actually has a pretty good record overall with this national team. And, and for 90% of it, the, the team maybe doesn't always look good, but they're effective and they get results. So, okay, go just, just give me some candidates as to who you think is going to come in and do something similar. You probably can't find a very long list yeah. and who's available too. Yeah. With regard to Greg, he took some risk in this this roster. He left some players that we thought would maybe start in this game. John Anthony Brooks is probably the, the most glaring example of this. I think he's under a little bit more pressure because our fan base is getting more engaged. They're super passionate. They they are more evolved, right? They're paying but do you attention. Think the, do you they think watch the, more of the game. So they do you have think the power of the fan is is strong at the club level. As I mean, at the national team level, as as it is, you know, at club level, they can just they can do anything, right? They are the paying fan. They can dictate a lot. Uh, but at the national team level, do you think they have that same power? I, I mean, respect to them, but like, of course, I would I wouldn't well, power. I don't know. That's that's all elusive on on the echo chamber known as Twitter. But I would say that in terms of influence. They're, the U.S. men's national supporting the U.S. men's national team, and I'm curious what Wiso says about the Mexican national team. But but supporting the U.S. men's national team feels kind of club esque. That that you have it's 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 almost bigger in some ways than a, than a club team, but but has the same type of vibe of kind of the ups and downs. I mean, you could put probably somebody cut and paste uh, somebody talking about Ole Gunner and Greg Berhalter, and you wouldn't know exactly who he's like. Get this guy out of here. He doesn't know who to start. He's calling in the wrong players, you know. And you're like, wait, is he, is it Greg Berhalter? Or Ole Gunner, Mauricio Pochettino. Like it's like <laughs> we're getting to that, those levels of that type of criticism. I don't yeah. think it's the worst thing ever, but but yeah, some of it, it there is a bit of a pile on. And we so you actually made a good point of they're trying to nitpick Greg a little bit. And and for and for good reason. I mean, they took a year to hire the guy. It felt like there was some nepotism there, which mm-hmm. we all felt feels a little weird. But this is kind of what we have at this particular moment. And and you know, and I think this is a good moment in terms of under pressure. He can give everybody the see this lineup did work. So I feel like he he he's under some pressure here to get a good performance against Mexico. As far as Mexico on that question, it's almost the opposite. We the fans can be like, get this guy out, and the federation's gonna wait till the very last minute. Or when we're like, wait, why are you why are you you know firing this guy? Uh, the federation. So yeah, completely separated. Everyone knew that in 2013. Chepo that thought I needed to be fired after that Costa Rica match instead of waiting until the into the Aztecaso that happened in Honduras. And then after that, all the coaches changes that happened. But um, yeah, going back to the coaches, I think for this match, whoever loses, uh, I think Greg would probably be more on the hot seat if because it's just that. Now, if they switched at home, if right, Mexico right, right, was right. that was the Azteca on Friday and the US beats Mexico. 
I'm sorry. I you cannot lose to the U.S. in Mexico City, especially after losing twice. Something's going wrong. Uh, a lot of fans would be wanting Tata out. Okay, well, let's talk about the Mexican national team roster. Then you mentioned it's a little bit older. It looks like Gerardo Arteaga is not in there. It's been calls for him. He hasn't been in since the Nations League final. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty familiar names. We're going to see Chucky Lozano and Raul exactly. Jimenez and Tecatito up top. And it's just we say older, but we can also just throw in in a more positive spin. Experienced. Yeah. We saw. We saw real quick. But Jimmy, by the way, by the way, we've talked about this a lot. It's only a double fixture. But Mexico uh-huh. brought in 28 players, and the U.S. only brought in 25. Why didn't we bring in more players, or should we be bringing less? We so I want to I want to get your take on this as well because I think it's 28 well, players they brought in. When I said when I said older, it's because the players that are going to start. There's 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 a good mix of of young players in here. You know, you have Johan who's doing great things in Italy. That's going to come back in the defense. Too bad he's left footed, so I don't think he's going to start um, but with with Moreno. But then you have Moreno who has been with the national team forever. Right. So there's it's a good mixture with the call up. I think on the start in 11, I think we're going to see Mexico be a little slow when it comes to going against the U.S.'s young, fast, you know, counterattack team. And I think that's the danger. And that's where I'm saying where the fans are bringing in. Why are you going to have Herrera, Guardado and Edson, especially Guardado and Herrera, who some of them are not going to play, you know, play 90 minutes week in, week out and have seemed a little slow. You know, in past time, especially Guardado, can he last? You know, ninety minutes. I don't. I don't think so. So I think that's where I say that fans are expecting a Cordova going in there, maybe an Orbelin. You know, going in there, Arteaga that didn't get called up for problems that he has with the federation. So, uh, but as far as the team, I think we have a good transition. I think young guys are going to come in. Um, but that's the that's where people are kind of saying, you know, who's going to have as far as defense wise questions on the defense as far as the starting 11 for Mexico, which is kind of crazy. I think we're both on the U S and Mexico side. The defense is where we're looking at going like, Oh no, could be a lot of goals. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, um, Araujo is, is got some, got a card last time. So he, he's not going to be in it, but I think in Moreno Gallardo, which you've seen a lot, Tata loves yeah. to have Gallardo will be there. A great, player going forward but gives you a little bit of a defensive uh worries there and obviously Ochoa who uh who's not going anywhere so interested to see what Tata is it going to go with the experience which I think he will be instead for this game or uh you know and then those subs and get those quick guys in there so uh Pulisic where, where, run where's around. Diego Linus I I, Diego I don't Linus. see him in there and he scored against us in the Nations League final was a super sub and uh Seems to do a lot of damage against our back line, and I feel like he would be a nice addition to this. Diego Linus at the Olympics got got uh, got an injury, and now in Real in Real Betis trying to get a starting spot back on. So, and yeah. you know, he wasn't he wasn't going to be a hundred percent. Hasn't played. Uh, yeah, so he's not. He, not he was one player. that again when I when I think back about the Nations League final that when I talk about them just going, they spread the U.S. wide and high and they were driving inside from both ways and combining. And I was like, this is not, this is not going to go well. And my, and that's when I go back to, to the point I was making earlier. And by the way, there's only 26 players from Mexico. So one more, I think, than the U.S. Uh, brought in. I think the U.S. brought in. Let's try to count. So, so I'm an idiot. I'm not good at counting. <laughs> but hey, one more could have been all the difference, Jimmy. That could have been Joe Scally if he wasn't called. Do you in. have three keepers called up? Yeah, three. Yes. Three. We got okay, three. just check. It. Yeah, yeah. We got it. We got it covered. We so don't worry. Right, we got yeah, it covered. Yeah. Uh, Two injuries he, happened. We got Sean Johnson. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and uh, you know, Jimmy, for me, when I look at this this uh, matchups or danger men, I'm I'm looking at MMA versus uh, Alvarez and Hector Herrera. I don't know if they'll start Romo in the in the middle. We so would love your take on, no. on who you think will be 
in that spot. But when I think about the spine of the U.S. team, and I know we're talking about Mexico right now, that's where I'm the most secure at the moment. Yeah, we got good attackers, and, and we've seen that we have a number of players we can rotate whether Pulisic's on the field or not. But in terms of where we need to start winning and dominating consistently is in the midfield against Mexico because Mexico, just like a lot of CONCACAF opponents, are so good at moving the ball in and out and out the other side that they get you chasing, right? And now the team has to run 40, 50 yards to get back into position. And the more we can start to win up the spine of the team, I think the better we can be, not just in this game in the matchup against Mexico, but in the future as well, to actually have a dominant midfield. I don't think the U.S. has ever really had a midfield against Mexico that dominates. We've had good midfields. We've had teams that can match up, but we need to start dominating that midfield because if you can, you keep Mexico to one side, you can frustrate them a little bit. They start to hit long diagonals or attempt a little more direct play. And, and that's where I think we need to win. The other thing, by the way, is just, I love Hector Moreno. Uh, we, so is he, is he in your team for this game? Because yeah, yeah. He, he's, so I, I think he's a calming presence for the teams. Other people are criticizing me for that. Obviously he lacks the <laughs> speed and transition um, and, and makes the team a little bit more vulnerable. When I see him on the ball, and I see the team around him. They just seem to have this confident figure who's been around it, who's seen it, not going to be phased by, by the, the, the challenge. But, you know, th that's another matchup that I see him having to line up against Ricardo Pepe in that match. Uh, oh, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I like that matchup. What, yeah, what I'll I, say very quickly, Wieso, yeah. is, is with regard to speed and Hector Moreno, I got to give a shout out to El Emparador, Claudio Suarez, who's one of my favorite defenders to ever play in CONCACAF, has more caps for the Mexican national team than anybody mm -hmm. else. And he was slow. But he made up for it with his positioning and his mm -hmm. anticipation and his ability to see things three, four, five, six steps ahead and then was so calm. And I think that is a trademark that Mexico, for me, have consistently built those types of players. It, it's okay. Rafa Marquez. Rafa Marquez. I yeah. never saw him sprint one time. Uh, yeah. And he was unbelievable. Yeah, right, Cla right. Claudio Suarez, you said it. He still looks the same as he did in 94. <laughs> I, I, was with, I was with him last week, and the guy does not age. He's been that, that age since the 90s. So. <laughs> uh, but it's true. It, 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 yes, you know, you're going to have defenders that might not spread a lot. and uh, But in those one-on-ones with those fast players is where we kind of go, <gasps> you know, Alfonso Davis going through our defense. It's Alfonso Davis, right? right but, right. you know, it's it, that's where you kind of go. And you have players like Pulisic who could do that. You know, you have great players that are fast, and that's that's the worry on our side. As far as experience, I think you need to have it there. I wouldn't put a young guy in this game. This is the most important game you're going to play before the World Cup as far as venues is, you know, you know, with a, with a great atmosphere that's against you for once in the U.S. for a long time, right? And, uh, you know, you don't want to put somebody that's not used to it. We saw other other teams. I mean, you, we saw Greg what happened in Panama, right? They're not used to that to these games when you're putting someone uh, that's not that's not ready. So uh, um, I don't see uh, Heath Romo going in to, in the start. I still think Herrera, Guardado, Edson, which is the same three that were in the Nations League, right up front. This that's is old, where bro. I that's old, bro. Uh, <laughs> this is where we. This is where we kind of go, all right, I want to see Raul Jimenez against this U.S. team, which finally we will have. Raul, Chucky Lozano, which has been playing great in qualifiers, and then Tecatito, who fans have been like, all right, it's not the same Tecatito, but Tecatito does really well against the U.S., right? Against yeah, those can US you trust defenders. that? I mean, the guy's barely playing at his club right now, right? He's, but I think he, he's it's true. had like 15 I, minutes or something like that. He's, like he's, he's, from what they tell me, I think he's done. He wants to be out of there, and he's not giving it. I think he's going to come back and do his all. 
and 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 you know what Tecatito does, and again going back to the Nations League, that very first goal, going around, going back to the friendly, Tecatito likes to to put on a show against US, and we haven't had that type of player in a long time. So those three will be our our, our the guys up top. See how they do. For for me, with regard to key matchups, I think Raul Jimenez versus our two young center backs, Miles Robinson and most likely Chris Richards, is going to be very pivotal. I, I slightly disagree with you, Heath, about having to dominate the midfield. I think if we can just nullify the midfield, it puts us in a good spot to try to win other battles on the field. And and that ultimately, and I mentioned it before, it comes down to set pieces. We're very mm -hmm. good on set pieces against Mexico. That's what got us back into the Nations League final to take it into extra time. That's what helped us get the winner in Las Vegas in the Gold Cup final. And I think that there's some insecurity there from Mexico yeah. going, yeah, we could work on this for three weeks straight, but these guys are just better at set pieces than us. And so they really have to limit where they're fouling in some ways. So maybe that speed and where Christian Pulisic could really come in and be super effective because he's so good in 1v1 situations and drawing fouls. I don't think Pulisic's going to start this one. I'd be really surprised if he did. And if he does, maybe he only gets 45 minutes. I think you have to be thoughtful mm -hmm. about where he is coming back from his injury. But are you going to think, gonna I think you start him? I think you start I him. think you start him too. Yeah. I, I think you I think you got to start him now only because of the fact that. I think it's easier to manage the minutes from a start of a game, I think, than exactly. throw him into a really tough scenario where he doesn't get the minutes. And I, again, I, I we're, we're seeing this more and more where you can do a halftime sub. You can make changes at, at different times. It's not like I feel like the game is oddly changing because they we've, we've the 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 nature of the game has has changed. And obviously at the club level with five subs and things like that, everything's different now. But um, I, I think I, you, you got to start him. And, the, and what I like about him. And why I like that matchup against against Moreno is now you have a target striker in Ricardo Pepe who's good at hold hold up play, solid at hold up play, but also solid at making the game predictable for the players that are feeding him. Right, play the ball, get it back, and move and spin off into spaces. And I think that's where the U.S. is starting to have a little bit more of a dynamic uh, attack as somebody at that striker position, which we haven't had in a while, that makes the game predictable for the attackers around them. Feed the ball in, get the ball back, spin out, spin off. And it's not so much of this constant needing three, four touches to to get the ball under control and continue the attack. And so I like I like that matchup um, as well. But on the same side, it, I mean, you don't think uh, I, when I think about the U.S. and I think about trouble, I think about Orbelin Pineda and and him being more of a crafty number ten, similar to Lozano that can play in and out of spaces and pull guys in and out of tight spaces and tight moments. And I think that opens up the U.S. But you know, I, I know that we, so, so so you're looking at Tecatito for to yeah. be able to do that. I just want to jump in and say really quick before I, I want to get to you, Wiso, of course, on, on the Mexican perspective and where right. you think the keyest matchups are. But but if we go with a Christian Pulisic, who is going to be not as sharp because he doesn't have those minutes lately, and we go with a Joe Scally, who I think could start, but yes, he played against Bayern Munich and he's doing well in the Bundesliga. And I think he'll hold his own. I'm not worried about that. It's more about Mexico is going to have a lot of possession. And, and what are we doing in those moments? If, if Pulisic isn't fit enough to really track in the same way, if Scali doesn't like, wait, I've never played with Miles Robinson before. Am I supposed to step? Or am I supposed to drop? What are we doing here? These are really important things that happen in a game where all of a sudden you got a Guardado, you got a Herrera, you got these really crafty players that know better and can sense when they can feel that weakness because of their vast amounts of experience. Ah, we're going to punish these guys. For, but do we for, think we can't track for... 45 we can listen minutes. we can track listen there's a difference between tracking players and actually working together in a collective team yeah. shape to put teams in an area where you want to try to yeah. actually win the ball collectively and i think that is where mexico kills us uh when if if things get out of control then we get emotional when you get emotional you start to lose your your discipline even more 
and I worry about that side of it a little bit. And that's where I think the experience of Mexico could hurt us. But that I, I, I'm on the other side saying you guys are players, right? You, it's going to be to the medical staff. How are you? 90%, 80%. Whatever you are, you're going to want to start to make an impact at the beginning, right? Because even you're going to track players. You're going to bring them in at 60th minute, 65th minute, even before. And what can Pulisic do? It's kind of an answer. And then what? Take him to Jamaica, you know, where it's going to be tougher. You know, I think this is the game. Put him in, see what he does at the beginning, and then, you know, assess there. Uh, Look at we Greg likes taking the U.S. men's national team fan. No, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm taking myself out of it. Saying, why wouldn't you do that? And for me as a fan, I said this for me as a fan, if I don't see Pulisic and the starting lineup, he's not 100%. He's not a threat coming in at 55, 60th minute. So I'm happy if he doesn't. You know. All right. All right. Well, let's get to predicted lineups. Uh, we so let's let's go with you. How do you think Mexico's rolling out? And give me the average age of this lineup once you oh, say. Dude, it. Uh, average age uh, twenty eight. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, oh, uh, twenty eight point nine. <laughs> Ochoa, obviously at keeper. You got you got the the fullbacks on the left and the right. Gallardo and I would say Jorge Sanchez there on the on uh, which is going to be a little bit different. A lot of people maybe have Chaka, who's done well, but fans don't like Chaka in the middle. Uh, Moreno and Cata Dominguez just because of that. Uh, a Johan is left footed. You don't want to. Tata's very good about having a right foot and a left foot uh -huh, type of uh -huh. guy. Um, so we have Cata Dominguez who's, who's, who's done well. So there's our there's a there's a defense uh, in the midfield. I've said it. Herrera, right? Moreno uh -huh. and the one guy that is not changing anywhere. I've said this for Edson Alvarez who's doing great things with Ajax. And then up front, right? Al Tridente, which is uh, you know Tecatito. Uh, Chucky Lozano and Raul Jimenez. I think it goes for experience. Um, maybe somewhere in there a defense. One guy probably that uh, Chaka might come in, but I I, I think I think that's going to be the start eleven. Okay, okay. Now Heath, before I get to yours, I, I who's the super sub because you don't have Linez. Is it is it going to be Pineda? Is it going to be Andre yeah. Martin, uh, Funes More? Like who's the super sub in this group? That you neither uh, of those last two. Get those guys out <laughs> I of here. Super I, I hear you. I mean, come on. I'm yeah. Actually, if, I, if Mexico's winning, you could put in uh, you could put in Henry Martin, and he'll scrap up there and make it. There isn't in anybody that we're like I can't. There isn't an Linus in the in the waiting to get in. But Norbelin Pineda can do a lot. You said it, Heath. Right? Can control has a lot of possession. Likes to have the ball. Can hit outside, inside, and feed balls in. Uh, Cordoba just because the type of player that he is in the midfield, if it's something's going slow in that midfield, I think he's in. And then uh, as far as up front, you know, super sub over Raul Jimenez and Tecatito, no. Henry to scrap it out. But I think Funes Mori is that this guy and he's going to continue to be in there. Uh, because he's really tall and he's scrapping, he's got Argentinian blood that, you know, he'll throw a ball across just to waste some time and kind of that that, that <laughs> player that's needed in, in these types of games. I wasn't expecting some Argentina shade this morning, but uh, that's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> he has that. He has that. It's that canchero. I love it. I love, it's called I love canchero. It. You know, it's like, oh, minutes wasted, boom. You know, sometimes yeah, you need yeah. that. Yeah, of course. No, no, no. It's necessary to have in every team. Okay, Heath, talk to me about the U.S. Uh, yeah, so my U.S. lineup is uh, Anthony Robinson. Uh, I think we have Miles whoa, whoa, Robinson. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We have a goalkeeper controversy. Oh, We're yeah. starting to go. I, God, I wanted to skip over <laughs> Tim. that. Uh, I, I, think, I think they're going to go with... Um, with I, think, um, I think it'll be Stefan. Yeah, me too. I think no I think way, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, I think he can, uh, pay, he can play out of situations a little bit better than Matt Turner. <clears throat> yeah, I think there's there'll be a few moments that we saw, and I think this, I think it happened against. I, I want to say it was Mexico, or or maybe it wasn't, but it was a clipped ball from from Zach Steffen. I can't remember the game, but it was a moment where Zach Steffen could have cleared it long, clipped it out, and we kept the possession build up um, to a goal. And I think. In moments like that, and it's not about playing playing out of everything against Mexico. 
It's about Zach Steffen recognizing moments where we can actually keep the ball. Because if Mexico frustrates you for long periods and they're good in transition to press and all we do is lump it long every time it goes back to a goalkeeper, I think that's a recipe for disaster and frustration. And, and you know, it, it puts us behind the eight ball for long, long periods. And like I said, when you're defending for long periods, you actually do need a goalkeeper like Steffen who maybe doesn't need to play out as much as he wants to, but knows those few moments where we can find the next pass, take a deep breath, break the first line of pressure, and then we go, okay, now we have a, we are, now we have the ball, and now we can build up, and I, you'll never get that with Turner. Turner's much more straightforward, but okay, anyways, okay. Good, good shout, Jimmy. Um, Robinson, uh, I want to say uh, Richards, Robinson again, and Joe Scally. Now, that, <laughs> that back line worries it's me. It's a young back line. It's a young Very back young. line. Love it. Um, <laughs> outside of that, I'm looking at maybe Zimmerman in there instead of Richards. I mean, yeah, yeah. you have more experience. It. You have more leader. Zimmerman is a much more, I don't want to say um, one dimensional player because he's a fantastic player, but his game is more predictable. There's not a lot of sort of build up play that he's looking. He's not looking to play clever little balls in and out of spaces. He, he seems to understand, have a little more traditional center half or center back type of mentality, which I think could bring a calming presence to the team of knowing, Hey, this ball comes into my feet. I don't like it. I'm smacking it into the stands. Uh, what I would say quick, really quick about Zimmerman is that he wasn't even in the initial roster in the last qualifying window. And then Tim Ream bounced out. And so he comes in, he starts. And then in the second <laughs> he game, starts. he's the captain. Yeah, I'm like, wild. How, do you, how is that even That's possible? That's Greg Berhalter, though. That's Greg Berhalter. I'm how not is putting that even possible? That nobody came in and they were like, look at his body language. Let's make him captain. That's You know what? He came in. Look how tall that guy is. So, Let's so, start him. Like, so thinking uh, about that and also knowing that Walker's going to be 29 when the 2022 World Cup hits. Like, this is it for him. And I feel like as someone that also fell into that kind of window, I was 29 when I played in the World Cup. You knew that was probably the only time you were going to play in it. And, and the way you approached everything leading up to that World Cup to get on the team was, was very I, – I can't even tell you the type of energy I had. My focus was insane. So I feel like Walker Zimmerman's embodying a little bit of the same, knowing that this is his big opportunity. And because he has that type of leadership presence that Greg clearly – uh, craves and, and wouldn't give him the armband otherwise. I I, I could see okay. Zimmerman in. For I'll go Chris Zimmerman. I, I'll go Zimmerman then because I I know a lot of the rumors have been Richard, but I'll go Zimmerman uh, for for me in that back line because I think that's a great point, Jimmy. And also, you just especially against never, Mexico. If you've never been there before, you don't know what this is going to be like, and and we, we you can see how badly it can go wrong. Believe me, I played in the 2009 Gold Cup final. <laughs> you have a you have. I don't a, know why you bring that up. I don't know why you, you have when you have bring up every show. Uh, when you have uh, when you have some lack of uh, how you say uh, international experience on the field, things can go uh, very wrong. Obviously, those don't count because that was like a rotated roster. We know that. Um, anyways, uh, but yeah, going into the midfield, I've got MMA. If anybody calls it something different, uh, we can fight. Uh, Musa, McKinney, Adams, uh, and then up top, Pepe, Aronson, and then Pulisic. Jimmy, you started to talk me out of this one, but I think you go with Pulisic. Uh, you manage those minutes. No, Wiso's Maybe you talking you out of Pulisic. I I. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, are going keep telling you that you should start? He's he's backing you up. I I I think he Timothy Wea is going to start, and I think Pulisic comes on with 30 minutes to go. Or if you feel like there's more necessity, you bring him on at halftime. I do think there's some value of bringing him off the bench when Mexico's a little bit more tired. But of course, the game could be gone by then. You, know, you might be but chasing you, shadows at that point. Let me ask you this, Jimmy. Since we're on that, and I don't want to harp on this too long because we could do this all day. And and I know <laughs> I know Des keeps looking at his watch every time I go back to something. Uh, our producer, but uh, when when you look at Pulisic though circumstantially, you kind of need Pulisic to come in at the right time if he is off the bench, right? You need the right circumstances because we know That's true. what ends up happening is if the U.S. is down 1-0 to Mexico and Pulisic comes in in the 60th minute, he's going to come back further and further to get the ball, try to put the team on his back, and do things that we don't want or need him to do. 
Right. I don't, at least I don't want him. I don't want him getting the ball from midfield. I want him in a spot where if it's zeros, okay, great. We're in a perfect scenario. Bring him on. He stays higher. He's trying to create something, knows there's some flow to the game. But if we're down and he starts trying to do a little bit more than than usual, that's where I start to worry about him. Whereas if you start him in the lineup, he has a little bit of time to find the game, have a less little less pressure to be the super sub or this big impact and can maybe find the flow, get his feet back, get his confidence back. Again, you don't want to start somebody against Mexico to be able to have to do all that. Uh, but that's where I'm kind of torn. All right, all right. I'm a little. I'm, Greg, I, you, Greg, Greg likes to take chances. Life. Greg will do it. I'm telling you. Greg all brought right. Pepe into Honduras. We've never experienced World Cup qualifier, and it paid off. And he's yeah, because he watches this podcast. We so he knows <laughs> what we're he, talking. He knows, knows what we're saying. He knows. Dude. He, knows. He, knows. <laughs> he knows. All right, everybody. We're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, we're gonna break down all the other games in Concacaf. Give you our score predictions for U.S. Mexico, and talk about our most underrated players in the region. Don't go anywhere. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. Welcome back, everyone, to the K Golasso podcast, and welcome to Raising the Bar, presented by Sonos Beam. Now, this segment focuses on players and national teams that have raised the bar during this World Cup qualifying campaign. And we're going to make it specific to CONCACAF this time around as they try to take their game to another level. Now, I'm joined by Heath Pierce and Wiso Vasquez to discuss those players or teams. Maybe an underrated star, somebody that needs a little bit more shine. We're here to do that because we feel like these players or teams have exceeded expectations so far in this campaign. And you guess it, raise the bar. So, Heath, I'm going to come to you first. Which player or team or coach has raised the bar for you in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying? Oh, man. Can I bend the rules? Oh, well, I, I guess, rules? I guess. Let me, let me, let me phone up Sonos. Really yeah, good news. Okay I'm going to bend the rules. rules. Raising the bar of the U.S. men's national team. Can I say that this is, I, I, I want to, I'll give you a different player if you don't like it, but here's my take on this and I'll, I'll tell you <laughs> if you don't like go. it. That's a long Joe Scally. Joe, Joe Scally. Wow. Now, <laughs> we, I know this was about uh, CONCACAF, World Cup qualifying, but what I like about a Joe Scally is where was Joe Scally four months ago? Now, when we talk about raising the bar for the U.S. men's national team, we're no longer talking about one player in, one player out. We're talking about the size of the pool just getting bigger, the quality of the player getting bigger. I can make this about Ricardo Pepe. 
I could make it about Joe Scally. I could make it about Conrad De La Fuente or Matthew Hoppy. But none of these guys were part of the group uh, six months ago or eight months ago. And now here we have more players emerging. We still talked about this earlier of just the, the these young players that we have that we're constantly pushing more and more players to compete for very minimal spots in this U.S. men's national team. And before it used to be this bright, shining star. We'd have a player playing somewhere and be like, he's the great hope. And then that star would fade because that one player didn't have necessarily the quality. Um, And they weren't pushed out because we had more players coming up. Now we're not like uh, having a guy come in and out of the national team. We're having a number of players increase the quality of the pool. Joe Scally being one where he's on this great run of form. Nobody was talking about him months ago. And now he's the, I think he has the most minutes of any U.S. player in the top five league in Europe. And now he's being called into national team. That's going to push Reggie Cannon to get better. That's going to push DeAndre Yedlin to try to make this roster. That's going to push uh, Sergio Dest to have to play a different type of play uh, in order to push that. So I think when I look at that, Yes, he doesn't have the CONCACAF experience, but I think that theme to me is what we're seeing in the national team that is ultimately raising the bar of the national team, forcing these players to have to compete against not just the ones they see around them, but this player coming up behind them. And so that's 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 my take. If you don't like it, I'll start from scratch, Jimmy. I'll go somewhere else. No, no, I like it. I'll accept it. You're very passionate and enthusiastic about Joe Scally, even though he has yet to get us a, a cap for the senior national team. But but <laughs> he can't is be that bad. Bar. He plays in the Bundesliga. I like, get he's, it. He's got a bunch I of games. get it. So, I'm you just know, saying. I'm just an saying. exciting time for me. I, I, we're on the same page. I'm a Joe Scally fan, and I want to see him succeed. I'm I'm just I gotta give the other side of it. All right, Wiso, who do you got? Who's who's your Sonos raising the bar player, or team, or coach? Uh, I'm going to go with a team, and because I've gotten these fans on my mentions a lot, I'm going to finally give them something to be happy for. Canada, they're raising finally the bar, what they're doing, right, in this World Cup qualifying where everyone's talking about them, sometimes not getting the respect. I have to say I've I've never seen meaner Canadian fans out there. I didn't know they existed. <laughs> they don't mean it. They don't so mean it. They just don't to want to let you know, I thought everyone was nice, but going in there, we're going to beat you and trash you and violate you in the Azteca. You know, uh, but they're raising the bar in World Cup qualifying. It's no longer Costa Rica. It's no longer Honduras. Uh, now Canada is up there with the player, the players that they have. Obviously, the best player in Concacaf. No matter anyone says, you know, Alfonso Davies going in and in and out. So raising the bar for me. Uh, it's not just this generation. Let's see what you do in the next World Cup and qualify. Let's see what you do at the World Cup when you qualify. So now it's no longer uh, Canada might be in there with a generation. Now it's expected with the players that they have. And uh, it's great to see those rivalries now, aside from Mexico, U.S., going into Edmonton, Mexico, in the next after the U.S. is going to freeze their butts off and uh, uh, as fans that are going to travel, that are going to go now, not only are the fans raising the bar, the teams are raising the bar, the players have raised the bar, but overall, if I think of a story that uh, qualifies as so knows raising the bar, it's Canada. I, by, well, by the way, it's a great choice, by the way, I, I gotta, I gotta say that Canada's odds of qualifying for a world cup significantly increase as we head to winter. They, like they've ne- they haven't been in this final round of qualifying, right? And now we're qualifying through the winter time that they're going to take these games and play at home. And obviously, we know that there's not you know playing at Azteca. Everybody has to suffer, God, but it is it is But it's going to be freezing when the U.S. I think they're talking about Edmonton or Vancouver for the U.S. game as well against Canada. I'm not sure if they've decided on that, but yeah, I agree with you. Obviously, Alfonso Davies 
There is no, and Jimmy, do you think there's an argument of anybody on that level at full fitness or at the peak that even has the quality of Alfonso Davies does at his age? How old is he? Like 22, 23? He's less, he's 20, 21? I think, if I'm not mistaken, close to no. 21. I, I actually, now that I think about what we so said and what Heath has added about Canada, I feel like Canadian winters are really raising the bar. <laughs> and maybe we should, we should go there for helping qualify for the for first World Cup since 1986. With well, regard to yet. Alfonso Davies. Hopefully. Well, hopefully. He's 21. Uh, He's 21, Alfonso Davies. What I like about Alfonso Davies is that he has molded himself into a player that can play multiple positions yeah. and that you can count on him. He can do left back. I don't think it's his favorite, but he can do it. Yeah. He'll he do play. it if he has to win a Champions League. He will, exactly. He can play <laughs> left mid, right? He can play as a winger, or you can throw him up top, which is what we saw him do at Azteca as Canada yeah. was just like making sure that they had a over-the-top threat so that Mexico couldn't, push up higher up the field they had to be respectful of Alfonso Davies's speed so having that type of player in your team that can do multiple positions is truly next level and, and definitely raising the bar for sure yeah Here, here's my pick real deal I'm gonna go with Anthony Robinson I'm going back to the U.S. and I say this because you know Heath references a couple months ago I'll say the same for this position and, and we so can probably speak to this from a Mexican perspective it's nice as a fan when you know that a couple players have just locked down a spot Mm -hmm. And left back was so wide open. We were putting Serginho Dest at left back against Mexico in the Nations League final Lord. in that position behind Christian Pulisic. And I thought Mexico did an excellent job against both of those guys. Dest was pretty non-existent. Pulisic was pretty quiet till he hit for the penalty. But, but with Anthony Robinson's emergence, it does give us a little bit of that balance that Tata Martino likes. He likes having left-sided players on the left side and right-sided players on the right side. And, and so that fact that Anthony Robinson's really emerged as our is our left back, our number one left back, gives me a lot of peace. I have a lot of inner peace with Anthony Robinson starting to play well. Also for his club, scored his first goal for Fulham. He's 24. I feel like he's really starting to find himself and the type of player that he can be for both club and country. And he just, uh, he's going to have his first baby. So it's all happening for him. It's all popping yeah. off this yeah. year. So lots of big things happening for for this uh, young man. And I'm excited to to see him continue to grow and evolve in the position. But Anthony, just, just feeling comfortable about a spot that yeah. was such a big question mark for us is something that I'm seeing with regard to Anthony Robinson raising the bar to, to help us out. Yeah, it's good to know that that left-back position has finally found a home to somebody. Since I left Jimmy, it hasn't really been the same at the left-back spot. So it's good <laughs> to know. I know they brought DeMarcus Yeah, Beasley yeah that's back. true. Yeah, he, he, he's at, not at a left-back, even though, even though he played there for like seven more years after that or eight more years, whatever. <laughs> but I, I agree with you, Jimmy. One of the things that, again, I really like about this young generation um, and the balance of it is that Robinson has that discipline to be a defender, right? He understands. And I think playing in the championship is helping him understand that you've got players. You have route one football happening. You have to get up for the ball, win the ball, tackle. You got to play defense. You got to be able to be good in transition. And we can't have everybody be a Serginho Dest. You can't have everybody be great on the ball. You need to have some of these uh, old school, hard-nosed players that understand that, oh, I'm a fullback, but my first job is defense. And I've got to earn that spot to play. I've got to earn the right to play. I've got to defend first. And then I'm going to be good going forward. I'm going to be able to whip in some balls. I'm going to be consistent in possession. And having a guy like that uh, in the national team has brought me more confidence to when things go wrong, especially when things go wrong, that you have that foundation of, of, of guys that know, like, my default isn't to just keep going forward more. It's to actually sit back and uh, pick and choose my moments to go forward. And that was raising the bar with Sonos Beam. And before we get into the previews of all the rest of the games in the CONCACAF region, I got a quick story about the Sonos Beam. I flipped on the Kegelasso pod on my YouTube channel. I've got the app on my TV. And as I used to do as a player, we saw at Heath, I used to 
look back and watch my performances so I can learn how to get better and all that stuff. And the Sonos Bean just took it to the next level. I'm like, I sound amazing in every corner of this room. And because I have a daily ego quote, I want to give a shout out to Sonos Beam for making me sound better than I deserve to be. <laughs> now, I just want to say, too, that when you have the Sonos Beam, it brings a stadium experience home with you with all the new Beam uh, Sonos Compact Smart Soundbar for, for TV, music, and more, as I mentioned before. You can enjoy panoramic sound for shows, movies, and games. Uh, and you can have it on for your radio or any channels that you want to listen to. It's, it's so precise and immersive. And it has Dolby Atmos. I don't know if you know what that means, but it's like the top of the top of the top. And it'll make you feel like you're in the stadium. Control is easy with the Sonos app, your TV remote, Apple AirPlay 2, or your voice with Amazon Alexa or Google Assistant. So if I want to say, hey, Alexa, can you show me Heath Pierce on Kegel Lasso on YouTube? And it'll pop up. And I'm like, actually, I don't want to hear from Heath anymore. I want to hear from Weso. And that'll also pop up. So it's pretty sweet. Setup is effortless with only two cables and automatic remote deduction and as with all Sonos speakers beam was designed from the inside out for incredibly clear sound and rich bass so if you like a little bass in your music this is the way to go then fine-tuned by oscar and grammy winning producers mixers and artists uh, sonos true play tuning technology adapts the sound for the unique acoustics of the room so your content always sounds just the way it should or as i mentioned before better than it deserves to be for me so never miss a word of commentary or game analysis when you turn on speech enhancement in the sonos app or for late games turn on night sound to tone down loud effects when others at home are trying to work or sleep. Sonos works with all your streaming services. Plus, you can listen to thousands and thousands of stations free on Sonos Radio. With Sonos, you can start with one speaker and expand your system over time. All Sonos speakers connect over Wi-Fi, so you can group speakers in different rooms and play music throughout your home. And that is next level, because I'm going to turn it on and make all my kids listen to my oh, voice, yeah. too, as I'm talking about the U.S. men's national team. So that is the Sonos Beam. It is an incredible piece of machinery, and I highly suggest that you look into getting one. All right, let's get into these games. Let's talk Honduras versus Panama because Panama sitting fourth on eight points, Honduras on five. They would throw everything into disarray. We so I'm going to start with you. If Honduras can get the full three points at home, but they've been struggling at home so far. Yeah, the worst. Yeah, the worst thing that I think that I've seen now: Honduras at home struggling. Panama really wants to get in those shots once again. The top three, and they can if Mexico beats the U.S. Panama wins. They go up. Uh, so I'm going to go with Panama wanting this a lot more. This is the middle part of that. Uh, the start of the middle part of this, uh, not hex, but octagonal. You're going to want to get points away, and and Panama is not going to take this opportunity. I'm going to go with with uh, Panama winning and finally Honduras, you know, all right, there's probably no chance you're making the World Cup. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I thought for the first two and a half games about Honduras, they were okay. You know, they got mm -hmm. some decent results. They got a 1-1 draw against Canada in Canada. That in was Canada. right. And, and then that second half against the U.S. is where everything just fell apart. And you can see that in the team, that they have that vulnerability, that if you can just unlock them, it's just going to yeah. be dominoes from there. Panama, though, and I know Heath is a big fan of Barsanis from Panama, the number 10 who pulls the strings for them, starting to feel a little bit more weebly-wobbly. But to your point, Heath, there's only two games in this window. Do you think they can manage this a little bit better, knowing they could probably roll out their best players in both games? I, I think I think they roll out their best players in all games. Uh, to be honest, uh, that that's one of the downsides of a, of a number of these these national teams is not having the depth that a Mexico has, not having the depth that the U.S. has, and so uh, you know it's, it's it makes them vulnerable. They're forced to go back to the same lineup. Honduras against Panama is interesting to me just because we're seeing Panama, we're seeing Costa Rica as of their their last couple of matches, sort of hanging on to that middle group with uh, with Canada, right? And the U.S. Uh, I don't want to say, neither of them are sort of 
in the, in a safe zone. Uh, but as you mentioned, Honduras have sort of fallen apart. They were like my team. You go back to that Canada game. I, I talk about it a lot. They looked so good. They made it so hard on Canada. I think Canada learned a lot from that in terms of how they're going to have to play, that they're not mm-hmm, as good as mm-hmm. they think they are. They're going to have to show up and fight in the same way that made them good through the summer. Uh, but this Panama side, they can hurt you. And even though I don't dis- I, I, I don't agree with Wiso throwing this stuff into the ethos that if Mexico beats the U.S. and Panama beats Honduras, <laughs> things are close. Uh, I'm, t- I'm looking at it more like when the U.S. beats Mexico and they're both on 14 points and Panama uh, beats Honduras, they'll be on 11. Uh, still making it tight because, we, you know, you want to start to separate those gaps a little mm-hmm. bit. A big fan mm-hmm. of Barsanis. Mm-hmm. He's in my CONCACAF 11. He's just another player that I just really like. You know, it reminds me again of an Orbelin Pineda, just very busy, wants the ball at his feet, wants the ball in tough spaces, can really disrupt teams because not only can he pass, not only does he have range, but he can get out of tight areas, which really uh, just change, change the game. And he's going to have to obviously have a huge one uh, against against Panama in this one. I mean, I mean, against Honduras in this one. But Honduras are home. At a certain point, they've got to figure it out. And Jimmy, you talked about two and a half games at home. I mean, two and a half games in. They were good, and I think they played their two, well, their first two games were away, I believe, right? Um, I yes. could be wrong on that. It was, uh, I think it was in Canada, then in El Salvador, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and then and then they got their home game, and then you're like, okay, they finally home. And they, they go up, they, they go up one zero at half. Yeah, and they looked good against the U.S. And then they've just seemed to be a different squad. I don't know if that's fatigue or the fragility of of just facing the adversity of Concacaf of that stress of the points mounting up and mm-hmm, giving mm-hmm. up points around. But if they can go back to that first half again. Uh, I, I don't see how they that Panama could beat them at home. If you go to that second half, then Panama for sure run away with that. All I know is it's going to be absolute chaos if yeah. Honduras do win because it's going to give everybody else a chance at that fourth spot because I think U.S., Mexico, and Canada are going to do it. So let's talk about Canada taking on Costa Rica. The Ticos scored four goals, only given up given up five. They're tough to beat, but I think Canada at home, they have, they're, the, they're the only other team, Mexico and Canada, the only two undefeated teams through six games. And Canada have done what is necessary to qualify. You win your home games and you draw away from home. And Canada, drawn away to the U.S., drawn away at Mexico, got two of the hardest fixtures out of their schedule already. I mean, Canada knows that they got to they got to get full points here, and they should be really setting themselves up. We so to to qualify for the first World Cup since '86. If there's a game that I think is a for sure is for Canada, it's Canada beating the Costa Rica. Uh, Costa Rica's traveling the old play and playing in the cold. This is Costa Rica who don't see any cold ever. <laughs> so uh, if you look back at the game where uh, Me- uh, Costa Rica versus the U.S. and Denver, it was the cold. So it, it's uh, I think it's very, very, very tough to, to 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 play in Canada, especially Costa Rica, who we've seen this Costa Rica. That's 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 it's not same Costa Rica. So uh, Canada's got the edge. I believe this is the one game that I can you know want to put some money on some bets. Uh, Canada beats. <clears throat> Yeah. Honestly, honestly, we so the, the 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 only thing I disagree with what you said is that it's not the same Costa Rica. It is the same Costa Rica. Sorry, it's just, it's just a lot older. That is, that, but I get your point with that. It's the same Costa Rica. It's just right. a decade. It's just a decade later. You're right. Uh, and, the threat of Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. I know what you're saying. I'm just giving you a hard time. But uh, you know, Canada have been very good, and at home, I expect them to be. Very good. Costa Rica are a side that obviously we saw some of their vulnerabilities so far. I know, Jimmy, you love Thomas Christensen. I know this defensive first can can take them a long way. We saw Honduras be very defensively sound and scrap and fight and make it very difficult against what I think was a very different Canada side in the opener of, of, of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying of this round anyway. Um, and so I think this will be a tight one. I, I you know, Canada obviously has the best player in, in CONCACAF with Alfonso Davies. 
We know about Jonathan David. We know about Kyle Laren. I mean, just saying that is making me talk myself out of their ability to not get a result at home, uh, just knowing the strengths that they have on the field, including some veteran uh, members in Atiba Hutchinson and then Eustachio, who I think has been really good as well. Uh, and so I, I don't see I, I don't see how Costa Rica can, can really go on the road to get a result there, but I don't think it'll be as easy as we think. With Costa Rica have a little bit of belief, and if you look at the table right now, they're sitting on what six points. This is really do or die for them to yeah. be able to stay in that. But, fight but imagine, that imagine if if the Costa Rica wins, that means Canada for all this hype have ten points after seven games, and Costa Rica for kind of them not feeling great about themselves would have nine which is insane to think about. And I know we'll get into it about Jamaica, who kind yeah. of pulled themselves out of the ashes as well. The one thing I'll mention about this, Costa Rica played in that famous snow game in Denver in 2013 against Unfairly. the U.S. Unfairly. Unfairly had to play in that game. Clint Dempsey scored pretty early. We held on for a 1-0 win, but it's a famous game, at least in U.S. men's national team lore. Cool. And now they got to go yeah. to Edmonton, where it's going to be 32 degrees. It's going to be uh, freezing uh, to play against Canada. I just feel like they're getting... Hard done by here in these last qualifying it's, windows. But, it's going to uh, be hard for them. Uh, I'm not sure if Campbell, Joe Campbell is back. I know he was back in Monterrey getting some minutes. It's a it's a, it's a player that Costa Rica needs, youth. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I go back. Um, I think the very first half is going to be really good from Costa Rica. And after that, Costa Rica kind of look at what happened with the U.S., right? That's right. Uh, you know, so I think Costa Rica can, can do well. I think they're going to try to score, try to do everything, and then hold on for the second half because I don't think they have the legs. They have the experience, but you know, Alfonso Davis in the 75th minute running around you is is, is bad. So all right, Costa let's move on to the last game. No, I agree with you. I think Costa Rica is a good maybe 45 to 60 minute yeah. team. It's like what happens in that other 30 minutes when they don't have control and are losing exactly. it is would really dictate what happens. Now, the last game, actually super intrigued about this one. El Salvador is hosting Jamaica. El Salvador very good at home outside of losing to Mexico, mm -hmm. which with some some not very nice behavior from their fans, you know, trying to gain any advantage they can, but some poor, of it definitely child. crossed the line. Mm -hmm. But but if Honduras beat Panama, then Honduras goes to six points. Panama is in fourth on eight. But Jamaica and El Salvador are both on five. So if they win this one, they could theoretically, if Honduras beats Panama, be tied in fourth, which is crazy to think about given that El Salvador hasn't really kicked on, though they're tough to play against, hasn't really kicked on. And then Jamaica just won that last one. In Honduras, which I think Honduras will look back and be like, if we if we can't beat the the quote unquote softest teams or easiest teams on paper, that is uh, in Concacaf, then then we're not gonna we don't deserve to qualify for a World Cup. So Heath, I'll start with you. El Salvador versus Jamaica. I kind of like the reggae boys to go to El Salvador and get a result and kind of just end the hopes and dreams of El Salvador in this window. Yeah, again, I look at El Salvador and the way that they played against the U.S. for uh, a large part. I look at El Salvador and the way that they've approached most of the games. But when you look at them in the table, you're like, "Oh, that doesn't make a lot of sense." They've mm -hmm. they they were they were one that people were hyped about and excited about. And then it seems like Costa Rica. Uh, I mean, Jamaica. On the other hand, in their last what they've got two draws and a, and a win in their last four have found a way to just I don't know if it's this whole we have nothing to lose thing when you find yourself at the bottom and 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 you're struggling but to get that win it kicks you into gear where you go okay we got a draw okay and then we lose mm -hmm. then we get another draw okay there's something there then they get that win against Honduras and and it changes everything for them there's this mm -hmm. new belief and that's why I worry about the US uh having to go to Jamaica uh as well I agree. and we we talked about you want to get them when they're vulnerable, but now they're starting to find a little bit of their form. Maybe when they have, I know they're going to have all their big star players in uh, for this one. Maybe that disrupts things. Obviously you expect them to contribute, but when you don't have a rhythm uh, that can be a detriment to the team as well. And it relies on individual performances uh, from a Mikel Antonio to, to get them results. But I think Jamaica have a newfound found belief 
in their uh, ability to get results in this one. So I think I, I, I agree with you, Jimmy. I think, I think Jamaica take three points here. Okay. And then we so quickly about El Salvador. I just want to add that they're one of the countries, in my humble opinion, that benefit from only having two games in a window because yeah. they're, they they're nobody depth, in the back. Their depth is not great. And we mm -hmm. saw it with them in particular that once they hit that third game out of eight days in the first two windows, they really struggled in that third game. Do you think they have enough here, especially at home where they've been pretty stout to, to get enough? I don't know if they can get a win, but maybe a draw. I, I think they get it. You know, if it, this game, I would go with a draw just because the atmosphere in El Salvador and this uh, Jamaica, the players that don't have that experience of going into a place like El Salvador, mm -hmm. that's the little edge I give. Not enough for a win. Again, uh, I think Jamaica's a new Jamaica. The last three games they've seen, you know, they've gotten the win. They got the tie. Um, they know that they can play. And when we already wrote them off, you know, they get a win away. So I think Jamaica is this is it. This is how they can get at least to that fourth spot. And uh, they're going to try to win. I'll give El Salvador because they come with the hype. El Salvador in the fans, they grow. I've seen it at stadiums. Their players become my – I mean, they're ready to go. But how long can that last? So I'm going to go with a tie on this one. All right. uh, giving both respects. And uh, I think they, they're they both they're kind of wanting it. So Yeah, it's, it's going to be a great game. Actually, I love all these matchups for all the different mm -hmm. narratives that, that each one displays. So here are final thoughts from both of you. And I appreciate oh. your time. Thanks for joining me on the Kegelasa podcast for a big preview of U.S. versus Mexico. I need score lines. Oh. What are your predictions for U.S.-Mexico oh, as your final thought? No, you're not going to avoid it. I circled back put in a little ribbon on it and you got to give obviously some context as to who he thinks going to score, how it's going to all play out. Who's scoring first. I need some of that juice. Heath, I'm coming to you first. We're going to yeah, have a little we so sandwich right. here. All right. I'm going, I'm going to go two one for the U S at home. Uh, it, it's just, it's a, it, they need to be convincing. They need to be good. Ricardo Pepe shows up. He said, if he scores, he's absolutely going to celebrate that one. So I expect, I expect him to uh, score the U.S. to scrap this one. Now, I think it's going to be tight for most of it. But again, we talk about set pieces and, and little intangibles like that that the U.S. can tap into mentally, and I think that gets the result for the U.S. against Mexico. Nice. Okay. Dun, dun, we dun, still, dun. how about you? Look, I'm looking at the window, okay? I'm not just looking at this game. And I said, Mexico's going to – no, I'll give you the scoreline. I said Mexico's going to get a win in this. They have to get one win. And if I have to go, Mexico and into Edmonton, in that cold, and at the second game, I after playing the U.S., I don't think they get the win. So this is what the way they have to win. Uh, I I think Mexico goes in there. Uh, I wow. don't think it's going to be a, a, a three through four two like we've seen. I think Mexico is going to be very tight. Raúl Jiménez will be the difference maker just because of the player that he is. Hasn't played against the U.S. Uh, give him that extra. So one zero. Mexico. I'm taking my uh, 2011 jersey underneath the okay. press. That way, that has never lost at a game. I've I took it to Columbus, uh, so I took it into the Germany game. So I think we should be good. <laughs> I don't. I so I'll jump in and say I think I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to go with my head over my heart here, and I think it's going to be a one-one. And I think it's going to be yeah, one-one yeah. draw here. I. I I, I, That's the old coach's handshake after the game going, hey, is. we both got something out of this. We'll, hey, see, exactly. we'll, see, we'll see you in Mexico. Exactly. <laughs> I really feel like it's setting up that way. The first 15 or 20 minutes of this game are really interesting to me because not only from a U.S. perspective and getting the U.S. fans to buy in and believe and, and get that confidence early on against Mexico that like, you're here to play and you're going to try to set the tone. That's important. But also because FC Cincinnati – who actually play in that stadium only won once in the league this year. And those fans are thirsting for like something to happen. 
And so I wonder if like some of that negative juju that might be surrounding that stadium could work against the U.S. That's a bigger conversation. But I just feel like a 1-1 draw might be the one here. And as you said, the gentleman's handshake. My heart, obviously, 2-1, 3-1, maybe 5-0 because we have to redeem Heath Get Pierce. That. Don't bring that. We already brought it up. Ah, you brought it up again. <laughs> but, it's going uh, to be a good game. Good. And the cool thing about it is that if Mexico loses, I can see why they lost. If Mexico wins, okay, we have the we, we have the talent. We're there, young U.S. team. If it's a tie, it's a, it's a tough game. I, I This is the first time that I can see all three. In the Nations League, no way. Mexico wins. In the Gold Cup, no way. Mexico wins. This one, I'm like, I'm thinking it is as it may be in the, my heart, but a tie going in there, a 2-2, 1-1, sure. Why not? All right. All right. We so thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you. Of course. Heath, always a pleasure. And for everybody else, win, lose, or draw, we're going to be live after the game on Friday to recap USA versus Mexico. So make sure to join us and subscribe to the K Golasso YouTube page. Follow us on Twitter at K Golasso Pod and subscribe to K Golasso wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time. Later. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.